You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Anyway, without further ado, we're going to get into the Word of God. And so we are studying the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible with me, uh, please turn to Philippians chapter 1. If you do not have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles on that table and on that table that feel free to go grab one if you want a physical copy. And like I say a lot of Sundays, you can pull out your phone to get your Bible app, but that's dangerous because many other things will pop up as you're reading your Bible app on your phone. So I highly encourage physical book Bible uh, in church on Sundays. But if you've been with us for the last five weeks, we've been in a new sermon series kind of as we start this fall season in the calendar year. Uh, We had a great summer sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And just about five weeks ago, we started the book of Philippians. And it's been a joy to teach. And God's been doing some really cool heart work uh, by speaking through it. But as way of recap, just so you know where we're going as I read these few verses, is that what we're reading, like we call it a book, right? Because the Bible has 66 of these books. And we call it a book, the book of Philippians. But really, it's a letter, It's a letter, it's a historical document that we have from Paul the Apostle. And he wrote, he penned this letter while in prison in Rome to a little church, little church plant in the city of Philippi. That's where we get the name Philippians. So this is a letter to the group of believers in the city of Philippi from the Apostle Paul. And what I charged us with in the introduction to this series about five weeks ago now was even though this letter is to a group of people that literally is so different than us, halfway around the world in a different culture 2,000 years ago, right? There's a, lot, there's a lot of times we can read this as a historical document and we can go, that's cool for them then. My challenge, because the Word of God tells us that it's not only for them then, but it's for us now. Like this letter is also, this is God's Word to His people, And so instead of just reading this as a historical document, and maybe you hear a few things, and you're like, that's cool that Paul said that to them then, view it as a letter from God to us today. I think you'll get a lot more out of it, and I think it's probably meant to to be read that way from us believers now in 2023 in Hawaii. We're supposed to read this as, well, this is God's letter to us. What can we glean from it? What can we, how can we grow? How, as Reality Honolulu might we live into the things that Paul told the church then? So again, just a different kind of lens to look through to receive the word of God today. But uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're doing a whole six verses this week, but Philippians 1, 20 through 26. And this is what Paul is talking about, what life is all about. And so um, Paul, again, in his letter, a couple verses in, verse 20 says this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. 
Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But then verse 24, he says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for joy in the faith so that through my being, you again, uh, you, with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for these words that you've preserved for us this morning. And God, we want to we receive what you have for us, and we just pray against anything that would get in the way to hinder us fully getting everything that you want us to get. God, I pray against distraction. I pray against our mind, watering, uh, mind wandering or a text message coming through that would want to, or a worry or a concern of other stuff in life. I, I just pray that we'd put that aside and we dedicate like just next 30 minutes just to receiving what you have for us. Because God, this is your word. It's living and active. It's profitable for us so that we may be adequately equipped for every good work. So God, have your way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint me to be your mouthpiece today. Wouldn't be me speaking, but you speaking through me. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if this is part of your story in your life, but for a lot of us, mentorship or people that are older than us have been a part of our story and it's been formative to our Christian walks, right? For some of us, we just got saved last week. This, might, this is probably not part of your story, but for a lot of us, if you grew up in the church or even earlier on in life, you probably had people around you that were older, maybe more mature, maybe had been Christians longer, that you looked up to and were formative. That's not true for everyone, depending on your situation. But for me, that, that's just my story. Like, that's just how God did it. God, by his grace, like, has allowed me, and it's really like I didn't seek this out even, I, again, I didn't grow, my testimony, if you, if you don't know it, like, I didn't grow up in the church. My parents were not believers. But, like, my best friend led me to the Lord in middle school. Well, it was the summer between elementary and middle. So I jumped into church as a middle schooler into, like, youth group. And so middle school, high school, into college were, like, my formative years as a believer. And God, just by his grace, just surrounded me with people to do life with. And really from middle school even till today, like I can count all these people in my life that have been mentors or older examples of how to live for Jesus. Some was more structured. Some were just people in my life that I surrounded. And I'm like, wow, that's how you live for Jesus. That's how you respond. That's how you act. That's how you spend your money. That's how you spend your time as a Christian. Right? You're just watching people's life and you're, you're learning from their example. For me, and I would probably say for all of us, and I think it's a biblical concept, that having people in your life walking out the way of Jesus, maybe better than you or more mature than you or older than you, 
is the greatest conduit of growth. Like, it's just the way in which we kind of all learn. Even if you're not like a hands-on learner, when it comes to, like, walking with Jesus, I think that's just how God made it. You, you look throughout Scripture, and it's always by other people spurring us on and leading the way that we actually get to see it played out. It's a very visual, tangible way of how to love Jesus. So for me, my testimony is I have like a ton of these people that have been these visual, tangible examples. Again, they've, they're all imperfect. They're not like perfect people that are walking and somehow I found like Jesus on earth again. No. But they've just been people that to the best of their ability have tried to follow Jesus. And so it's been formative to me. Before I tie this into Paul, here's my soapbox for a second. If you're young, surround yourself with people that are older. If you look around and your only community is just your age, danger. But if you're older and all your community is just being older, older danger. Young people need you. Like you all need each other regardless of your age. Like this is the way it is to be. Over and over, like you could give a whole sermon series on like mentorship and the beauty of young zeal is needed and older wisdom is needed and you all should do life together. Like you, you got to do it. That's my soapbox. Like you, if you just got, look around, do a little stock of your life. Ooh, all my people are just my same age. Growth will be stunted if that's the case. Or God using you in a younger person's life. Like, your life is supposed to be poured into someone else that's younger. That's just how it is. It's just how God designed it. We all need each other. It's the way it's meant to be. But with that in mind, off the soapbox for a second. When we read Paul's text today, we want to do it with that same idea as seeing Paul's life as an example or a roadmap, or an encouragement for us, how we might live to strive for. And Paul said, said this pretty clearly, actually in 1 Corinthians 1.11. He said something, he said this, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Another translation says it this way, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. In other words, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, look at my life. Use it as a practical, tangible example of how you might live. Now, this is what that does and doesn't mean. I mean, you read Paul's letters. He did struggle with pride. That's, that's true. So the, some of this is, is honestly probably a little fleshly. Honestly. Like, we can debate this later. But Paul was... If he had some weaknesses, Paul was like, dude, I'm bad. And you're kind of like, that's true. But you don't have to, like, brag about it all the time. But in this case, I, I think he's doing it in less of a haughty or proud way, maybe a little. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to provide people a tangible picture of what it looks to follow Jesus. And to be honest, at that time, it wasn't like the church was established. Paul was the one establishing all the churches. There was no, like, huge groups of people that had been believers for a while. Like, the church was years, if not a couple decades old. Like, the whole Christian movement. 
was fresh. There's not old believers. There's not seasoned saints. Paul was like it. Paul was the seasoned saint, to be honest, of the time. And so when he's saying this, like he's kind of like, not in a, again, kind of in a prideful way, but kind of not. He's like, I'm the best you got. Jesus is gone. He's ascended to the Father. He's left us the Holy Spirit, but I'm the best you got. So follow me as I follow Christ. Again, Paul is a pastor. He's a church planner. He's an apostle. He's starting other churches. So think about this. You're a people in the Middle East, Jew or Gentile, and this guy comes and he starts talking about Jesus, and there's no, like, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, like, let me go see Jesus. There's no videos. There's no sound bites. There's no podcasts. There's no news. Like, Paul has to explain who Jesus is and what he did. And so the really, the best way to do that is like, okay, well, just look how I'm doing it and do it like I'm doing it. I'm, I'm trying to do it the best that I can. So here's what I want to do with the text today. There's, I have three points, not super long. But as we look at how Paul, right, transformed by Jesus, lived and thought and did life, in turn, how he did that stuff, let it be a tangible example of how we might live into it ourselves. You guys good? You guys with me? Sorry, a little long intro, but here we go. Number one from our text today, Number first point. Paul knew what life was all about. Paul knew what life was all about. Paul said it here. There's no question. What did he say? We all, you, you, remember, you know this verse by heart. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's the meaning of life? To live is Christ. My life is to live, to be lived for Jesus. You're like, well, but also, no, he's like, no, that's what it is. And again, we know, like, all of humanity has and will struggle and search for the meaning of life. Any culture, of any era, of any religion, of any people group at any time has always struggled for the meaning of life. It's the same for us. If you haven't already in life, you will. You will struggle with, you will wonder, what is all of this supposed to be about? Why am I here? What, what am I living for? Or what is my contribution to the world supposed to be? Like, this is what we ask ourselves a lot. And even if you're a Christian, mark my words, you will doubt this at some time. Like, this will come up. Because hard times will come. You'll be disillusioned. You'll get, you know, tragedy and trauma and all this stuff will come up. And then all of a sudden, you'll, things are not good. And you'll question, what is life all about? And again, if you don't have a biblical word, worldview or a Christian worldview, however you want to say it, your meaning of life, you will just make up. You will believe what your purpose should be, you'll, you'll develop an answer. And a lot of it's your upbringing or your environment. Your surroundings will determine what your life is to be about or whatever philosophical idea you're into, right? We all have a thing we're living for. 
a purpose. Why, why am I here? Why am I still doing this? But the truth is, which Paul is declaring, right, that our true design, all of humanity, is that we're created to be with God, living for God, and living into his will and his design. Like, that is our purpose, is we're to live for God. We're to honor God. We're to live into his will and his design for our life. Right? And so Paul, kind of at this crucible-type moment, right? He's in prison. He's unsure if he's going to get a knock at the door and be led to his execution. Remember the context. Really important. Paul's penning this letter under house arrest. He's imprisoned. He doesn't know the fate of his life. And so he's writing this from a place where this is like very real for him. And what he said was he said, my life is to be lived for Christ, for God's glory, for the furthering of his kingdom. And if a God allows his life to go on, he said he's looking forward to fruitful labor unto Christ. But again, the whole text is about how he might not live to see another day. So he's like, for me to live as Christ and to die is to, gain, is, is to gain. But if I go on living, I look forward to fruitful, fruitful labor unto the Lord. But here's, here's what I want to say here. This, you can read that really quick and go, okay, well, but Paul, that's like all he did. Right? Is that only a Paul thing because he was in full-time ministry? Like, that's kind of easy to say if you're like a pastor because your whole life is living for Jesus. Like we can bifurcate it real quick. But you may be sitting here going, well, I'm nothing like Paul, and I have a full-time job, and I have a family, and I don't really have a lot of time for even to go to church, let alone serve in the church. So this is what I do for a living, and this is my personal relationship situation. And many times, I think we can easily bifurcate our lives in Christ to only churchy things. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying all of our life is to be lived unto the glory of God. So that fully encompasses like your vocation, your schooling, your relationships, your hobbies. When, when Paul says for, for us to live is Christ, he's saying everything we do is to be spent to the glory of God. It's not, it doesn't mean, hey, quit your job and only be in full-time ministry because that's what Paul's talking about. No, yes, some of us, that's true. Most of us, it's not. Most of us, it's going to be. You're going to have that job and that career and that family and those hobbies and those sports games and that's your school you go to. Like, that is your life. And so all of that is to be lived unto the glory of God. And Paul would, like, reiterate this to different churches in different cities. For example, Colossians 3.23. You guys know this as well. He said to another church in another letter, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord and not for people. This is a really good verse to remember when you're having a lot of trouble with your boss. Gosh, I hate this job. Like, my boss. Okay, well, you're not working for him. Yeah, I, mean, I know practically. I'm like, no, no, no. And when it gets hard, this is a really good verse to remember. Well, I'm not doing what he wants 
for his sake necessarily. I'm doing it unto the Lord first. But Paul's not saying get into full-time ministry and then work heartily because that's for the Lord and for pe- and you know not for people. He's saying whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, he said something similar. Again, to the church in Corinth, he wrote this letter, and he says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, so it it actually comes down to, it's all about the lens you look through. It's all about your worldview. So again, you can look at your job as just a job. Right? Job means to an end, to pay the bills because I get the money. Or hope maybe some of you, you do love your job. And so you're like, oh, I do this because it's a meaningful work. And I get paid so I can live and exist. You can just look at your job just like a job. Or with this lens, it can be looked as an opportunity to honor God and show others Jesus in that. We were just, like, I mentioned this at our prayer meeting this morning before church. Like, you're a barista, you have an eight-hour shift. Yes, you can just think it's busy and you're making coffee for people. Sure. That's what you're practically doing. Or you can go, wow, I have eight hours to work unto Christ, to show God's glory and his kingdom to the other people. And so your attitude, your countenance, how you respond to people, all can be used for the glory of God. Or you can just think of it as a job to get through, to clock out. Very different mindsets. So everything should be and can be looked unto the glory of God, or we can just go, ah, it's just a job. Same thing with family and friends. Again, these can all just be looked at as like, you know, meaningful and amazing relationships, and a lot of times also complicated family and friends. But the truth is, the way in which the gospel is lived out in this world today is through relationships. How do you think we model forgiveness when someone in a relationship does something wrong against us? So you forgiving them is actually displaying the gospel to them. You extending grace or mercy or love or generosity in relationship is the way in which the gospel is shown. Like, the greatest ways the gospel is displayed is when relationships get messy. When relationships are always good, maybe there's not as much need to dig down deep and get forgiveness and grace and mercy and whatever it is. But again, Paul is challenging us in vocation, in relationship. Like, all can be used for the glory of God. Same can be said of our resources, right? Even like the money we have, the money that God gives us through different means. You can either view it as your money and your empire or your wise investment decisions, or you can view it as, well, these are all of God's resources that he's given me to steward. So God, these are yours anyway. How do you want to use them to see the church and the kingdom of God go forth in the world. How do you want to use what you've given me stewardship of? Again, 
biblical stewardship, if there's anything that you're like, why does Riz talk about that? It's like one of the main things that if you get that you're just stewarding your time and your resources and your talent and your treasure, and they're all God's anyway, so just be faithful with them, your life will dramatically be different. Live to the glory of God. But if you're like, it's all mine. It's my kingdom. It's my empire. I can do whatever I want. You're like, okay, well, again, it's worldview. It's biblical lens. It's Christ-centered lens, or, or it's different. And so what Paul is doing here is he's, he's preaching in this letter of what life is all about. And it's all about a life lived unto Christ. When I read this, I was reminded of a famous poem from this guy named C.T. Studd. I know, it's a cool last name. He was a British missionary to China, and he said this. You might know this poem. He said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Again, that was, that's a modern day, a little bit, reflection on what Paul is saying here in this letter to the church of Philippi. It's, again, all really challenging, but like in a good way. I hope it comes off that way. Instead of like guilt, it's like, oh, well, what is the purpose? Like, what is the purpose of, of our life? It's to live for Christ. So that's number one point. Sorry, that was a little longer. Number two, I promise, they'll be shorter. Paul knew what was most important. So number one was that Paul knew what life was all about. Number two is Paul knew what was most important. And what I mean by that, and what's even more crazy, is that Paul said as good as life could be when it's lived out in God's design for his glory, as good as that could be, it's far better when we actually die if we know Jesus. Do you see, did you, you see that like little juxtaposition that he's talking about? Right? In verse 23, he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. So Paul here, he's saying death is actually far better than life. And again, better by far. The reason why he's saying that, even though that seems so morbid and just like, okay, Paul, like, maybe prison's got to you. But it's better by far because he knows that when his physical body passes away, he is present with the Lord. He is in the, with, in the presence of the Lord for all of eternity, and it's better than anything this life has to offer. That's why Paul is essentially like mocking death here. He's in his prison cell awaiting his fate. But he's saying heaven with God is far better than anything this life could have to offer. So essentially what he's saying is do your worst. Because it doesn't even affect me. You're actually doing me a favor and again, not to be morbid, but he is just confident of where he's going. So in the face of his own mortality, he said, hey, I know if I'm alive, I'm going to live for Christ. But even if you kill me, it's actually better. And I actually desire to depart to be with Jesus anyway. 
But if you don't kill me, then fruitful labor is coming. Right? You can just like this guy, you're like, who is this? But from what we know from Scripture, Paul is just walking in these truths. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But again, let's think of ourselves for a second or our culture as a whole. What do we fear most other than snakes and spiders and, you know, public speaking? Death. We fear it. Right? As, a, as human beings across centuries and across cultures, like so many people believe death is the end, death is the final world, a final world, excuse, word, excuse me. But in Christ, with that understanding and with that biblical worldview, this messed up, imperfect, temporary prelude to the real life, life in eternity with Jesus. Like, this is just a prelude. This is not the end. Death is not the end of the story. If anything, it's the beginning of a life with eternity with Jesus. So if you're in here today and you would say, well, my life's good. I got it good. Well, it will only be better when you go see Jesus face to face. If you say your life is not good. Like, life is hard. Life is not good. Well, I would say today, it's okay because it's really not meant to be that good here. <laughs> we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. And Jesus' kingdom is here, but not yet fully. And so we live in this tension, and so there's tons of brokenness. It's so broken. It's so painful. It's not as God designed it. But what's better, right, is when our physical bodies cease to go on, we're present with the Lord. And what the Bible is clear about is that there is no tears, no pain, no disease, no death. There's perfection in God's presence. So there's much to hope for. And that's why Paul could say, man, if you want to kill me, go ahead. Like, I'm going, I'm going to be with Jesus. That's far better. But number three, Paul even alluded to it. He wasn't going to die in that moment. He knew his assignment. Paul, Paul knew, if he, hey, if I'm not going to die and I'm not going to be with Jesus, his sentiment here was, if we're still here, we have a purpose. We have a mission. So let's get on with it. And I don't know if you could tell, but Paul's writing that and from prison. He's like, okay, so are you going to kill me or not? Because I'm going to live for Jesus, but it's better if you, if, like, if you kill me, cool, that's better. But if you're not going to kill me, then get ready because the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. And the truth is the same for us. Like, we all expend energy. We all have energy. Like, especially if you're younger, you have a lot of energy. Maybe you have more time even. A lot of life we expend our energy on is work and family. That's what a lot of life gets spent energy on, which is good and great, and these are necessary things. But are we stewarding all that energy for Christ? Again, I'm not saying, like, don't work and don't have a family. I'm saying, are we looking at those things that we expend energy on with the lens of Christ? This biblical Christ-centered lens. Because again, God has given so many of us incredible giftings, so many resources, so much energy. 
So the question would be is, how are we using these things? Are we living for Christ as Paul did? Because like Paul, he knew that if we are still here and we're not with the Lord, we still have breath in our lungs, we're still living. If we are still here, it's because we're a necessary part of the kingdom of God. Like, if Jesus has not taken you yet, you are necessary. You are valuable. You are purposeful. And your life has incredible meaning. Because your life is meant to be lived for Christ. And we're all part of the body of Christ. And we're all a piece of this. It's not like some of us are somehow, like, have this different value. And God has this, like, metric system. It's like, no, these are my people. This is my church. And if you're not with me... Go live for me. Live for me in your job, with your family, at your home, with your neighbors, with the person you see at Foodland. Like, wherever you are, like, do it unto the glory of God. I have you here for a purpose. Paul knew the assignment that if he's not with Jesus, then it's on. Like, let's live for Christ in our context. Again, some of us will be called, right, to be in the full-time ministry in the missions field. But again, 99% of us probably will not. And we're just going to be doing, you could say, normal life. Like just like regular life. God wants to use you there for his kingdom because your life has incredible meaning and incredible value. So let's be encouraged by the life of Paul and live into that uh, as I pray and we enter into some more worship. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the reminder of these, these big, weighty things, like the meaning of life and the purpose of why we're here and even eternity. And Lord, if there's, there's one thing I, I would pray even for myself and all of us is, God, would you show us practically, like on Monday, like tomorrow, with getting the kids ready for school or with driving to work or doing emails or leading that meeting, help us to, to see and, and to, to, to have the mindset of doing every part of our mundane days to the glory of God. God, I pray that we would see everything we do as an opportunity to show and tell of the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you that all of us that, you, that you've, by your sovereignty, placed us in the house we live in, with the friends we have, with the neighbors we have, like you've given us the cars we have, the job, and it's all purposeful. You are not a God that is haphazard, that is out of control. You're not a God that doesn't know what he's doing. You are a God that is strategic, placing us exactly where you want us in this time of history, in this place. And I just pray that we live into that, like with joy, with the joy of the Lord, that we would just know that like everything that's happening, good or bad, you want to use for your glory. So help us to live into that and help us to worship you now for how good and glorious you are. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.